while the kids are heading out, you can get um, your page ready. So we're reading from Mark 10. In the Plain Bible, it's on page 715. And in the Bible with the border, it's on page 1014. So we're reading from Mark 10. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and went across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did, Jesus, what did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Thank you, Kate, and good morning, everyone. A uh, big welcome to you to church today, especially if you're new or visiting us. It's uh, great to have you with us. My name's Scott. I'm uh, one of the ministers, and uh, I'll be uh, bringing God's word uh, to you today. And a very warm welcome to those who are watching us on the live stream. Uh, great to know that it's now coming through loud and clear. So uh, uh, we warmly welcome you today. Uh, let's uh, pray as we consider the, uh, prepare ourselves to consider this passage from God's word. Father, we want to thank you so much for your word that uh, you've not left us in darkness but have given us the light of your will. Father, we pray that uh, as we consider your word now that by your spirit that you would be changing our minds and changing our hearts that we would be those who live in conformity with your will for our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you know, when Cassie and I were married... Way back in 1989, uh, we had to go to the, a uh, big office block in the um, central business district of Sydney and uh, go for an interview with the government. Uh, the reason for that was because uh, Cassie had a student visa <coughs> and we wanted that to be changed to a permanent residency visa because we had this idea that um, actually living together in the same country might be helpful for our marriage. And you know what? Uh, it wasn't a particularly private interview space. Uh, so much so that I could, I could actually hear the interview that was going on in the cubicle next door with another couple being interviewed for the same kind of reason. And I particularly remember just one question that they were asked and how they answered it. The question was, is this relationship permanent? He straight away said, yes, absolutely. 
She said yes, for the time being, <laughs> at least. Now, <clears throat> I don't know how that went down with the interviewer or whether they were given their permanent residency visa or not, but in one sense, I can kind of understand it. I think we can understand that as well, uh, even uh, at this time, because relationships are complex. Uh, we live in a complex world and uh, we can face challenges which uh, place uh, stress on relationships and relationships don't always work out the way that we would, we would actually like them to work out. And uh, often, uh, I guess in many situations, uh, if you know, both parties are to blame for that in one sense, one form or another, and sometimes it may happen to someone and they actually bear no responsibility. It's something which they've had no control over. And I think it's fair to say that relationships and marriage hasn't been made any easier uh, by the, uh, the shifting values and the attitudes in our culture uh, towards relationships and marriage. Uh, changes which uh, we can say uh, uh, began to, uh, well, started to become visible in the 1960s and uh, which over the years have gradually eroded the acceptance of biblical concepts uh, in relation to relationships and marriage. So that um, by the time we get to uh, 2022, uh, the concept of uh, a union between a man and a woman, uh, which is lifelong and which is exclusive of anybody else uh, is to some extent considered to be somewhat outdated, um, somewhat out of step uh, with the 21st century. And yet in our hearts it seems that people still do long for the stability, for the, uh, the trust and for the security which is found in what actually is God's plan and purpose for marriage. Now, of course, uh, we may be able to trace the current erosion of marriage back to the 1960s when the um, post-war uh, post baby boom generation were entering into adulthood and, uh, and they foolishly thought that the invention of the pill meant that you could have unmarried sex without any consequences. <laughs> Uh, we can trace it back to then. That's the current erosion. <laughs> but the reality is that there is nothing new under the sun. And uh, marriage and faithfulness in marriage, permanency in marriage has, has always been something which has been under threat. In fact, at the very time of Jesus' ministry, there was a relationship scandal which, even if it had happened today would have been splashed across the front page of the tabloids. Uh, that kind of relationship scandal. And it's a scandal which provides the, the background to understanding our passage today. Um, if you've got Mark's Gospel open in front of you, have a look at the first couple of verses of chapter 10, uh, where uh, Mark uh, 
And throughout Mark's Gospel, Mark keeps on giving us uh, details about movement, details about travel, details about Jesus uh, as he uh, moves around and uh, here in Mark 10 as he now starts to head towards Jerusalem, uh, which we'll be um, hearing about uh, when we next come to Mark's Gospel. But in verses 1 and 2, Mark tells us Jesus then left that place which was up in the north, and he went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, that's their question. And uh, when we read that question, uh, if you just read it... um, on the surface level, it seems like that uh, is just a, uh, just a theological question that the Pharisees are asking, uh, that they're just checking Jesus out. And it may seem innocent until we understand something about the geography and the politics of the time. Uh, see, um, is there a map on your screen there? At the time of Jesus... Uh, Israel, or what is sometimes referred to as Palestine, uh, was ruled by Rome. But um, it was broken up into various localities and each of those localities was ruled by its own ruler um, uh, or puppet king uh, who responded to Rome. Now, in the south, we see that the area of Judea and Samaria... Uh, was ruled by Pontius Pilate. Um, He was what they referred to as a procurator. Uh, In the middle, um, in Galilee, and the region that you see, uh, which is just to the east of the Jordan River, uh, was called Perea, and uh, this was ruled by uh, a son of Herod the Great, and his name was Herod Antipas. Uh, He uh, would have liked to have been known as a king. And further up north, in the northeast, his half-brother, Herod Philip, uh, was the ruler. So that's the geography, that's the politics. What about the scandal? Well, the scandal was that Herod Philip, um, who ruled in the northeast, uh, was married to a lady by the name of Herodias. But Herodias divorced him and she divorced him so that she could marry his half-brother, Herod Antipas, who ruled in the region that bordered to the south. Now, that is a scandal. That is a scandal. Uh, Listen to how the uh, non-Christian first century uh, historian, a man by the name of Josephus, uh, listen to how, what he had to say about that um, particular uh, scandal. Uh, he wrote this, and he wrote that after the birth of um, Herodias' daughter Salome to Herod Philip, uh, after that birth, quote, Herodias took upon her to confound the laws of our country and divorce herself from her husband while he was alive and was married to Herod Antipas, 
her husband's brother. Now, Josephus wrote that a little bit later in the first century, so he did so at a time when it was safe to write that. But what, would, what do you think would have happened to someone uh, if they wrote something like that or if they spoke against Herodias and what she'd done at the time whilst it was still current news? What might happen to that person? Yeah, what happened to John the Baptist? When John the Baptist uh, accused Herodias of committing adultery, um, what did she make sure happened to him? She made sure that his head was served on a platter. Remember that? That's what happened to John the Baptist. And so in verse 1... Uh, Jesus has now travelled from where he's been ministering uh, in the north, uh, which is ruled by um, Herodias's former husband, Herod Philip, and he has now travelled into the region of Galilee and to the eastern side of the Jordan, which is sometimes called Perea. This is the region which is ruled by Herodias's current husband, Antipas. And so when the Pharisees come to Jesus with a question about divorce, they're actually in her territory. This is not an innocent theological question. This is a trap. Um, in verse 2, uh, the word which is translated as tested also means tempted, to tempt, to, te to test uh, or to tempt in the Greek is the exact same word. And so here what's happening is that they are tempting Jesus to say something which if you were to then extend by inference would actually be condemning Herodias in the hope that like John the Baptist, uh, Jesus would lose his head also. You see, we learnt a few chapters earlier that the Pharisees were in cahoots with a group called the Herodians uh, to plot the death of Jesus. And so, how does he answer their question? Well, he answers their question by asking them a question. <laughs> Uh, you see, the Pharisees, they prided themselves on following the law of Moses. And so in verse 3, uh, Jesus shifts the attention away from himself and what he thinks uh, onto Moses and what Moses thinks, what Moses wrote. Have a look at verse 3. He says to them, well, what did Moses command you? And uh, they said, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Really? That easy, is it? You just, just write out a certificate of divorce and send her on away. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, which is the passage to which they're referring to, uh, Moses allowed for the possibility of divorce, for, of, a, of a man divorcing his wife, which has tended to be what it what had actually happened rather than a wife divorcing a husband, he allowed for the possibility of a man divorcing his wife, not because he encouraged it, but because it was actually already happening. 
And the provision of a certificate of divorce was actually something which was for the well-being of the, of, of, the, of the woman who was so divorced. It gave her the proof uh, that that marriage was over so that she could be free to remarry. But it wasn't just divorce for any reason. Um, in Deuteronomy 24, Moses talks about uh, you know, when a man has found something indecent about his wife and issues her a certificate of divorce and sends her away. Something indecent. Now, at the um, time of Jesus, there was debate uh, about what this something indecent was. Um, does it mean adultery? Well, that was the common understanding that it meant adultery, and, uh, and we see an example of that, don't we? Uh, when Jesus was, uh, before Jesus was born, uh, when Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant, what did he assume? He assumed that she had been with another man. And uh, we're told that because he was a righteous man, that, uh, Mos that uh, Joseph uh, considered divorcing Mary. Remember that? This is actually personal to Jesus at this point. And so, does it mean adultery? That was the, co the man in the street. Uh, understood that as meaning adultery. But um, the religious leaders, uh, they, um, th amongst them there was this debate because some of the religious leaders wanted to, to stretch uh, the meaning of the something indecent. Uh, they wanted it to be uh, more inclusive. Uh, one of the um, uh, significant rabbis at the time just before Jesus, uh, he and his followers, uh, they argued that it, uh, it could mean anything which um, caused um, embarrassment to the husband or anything which displeased the husband, that anything could be allowed. And so that's the debate. A and in verse 5, Jesus doesn't want to get into that, does he? Uh, Jesus actually uh, cuts through all of that and he says to the Pharisees that the only reason that Moses even allowed for divorce is because of the hardness of your hearts, because of human sin. And whilst it is a permission to divorce, it's not just a permission, it's not primarily a permission, it's actually a concession, a concession to the reality of the state of human sin. Uh, the New Testament um, does allow for the possibility of divorce uh, when the marriage covenant is broken, um, such as the case uh, in regards to adultery in Matthew 19 or abandonment in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And, and sometimes uh, separation and uh, even divorce will be necessary for other reasons, um, such as the for the sake of the safety of the person involved and the safety of children and so on. However, that is very different to the attitude of our society which says that, you know, this relationship is permanent for the time being. <laughs> That's a different thing. Um, when Jesus asked the disciples what Moses said, uh, they went straight for the only one thing that Moses said about divorce. 
But Jesus responds to that by pushing them back uh, earlier into what Moses had written uh, in the book of Genesis. Because if we're going to understand divorce, what is it we first need to understand? We need to understand marriage. That's what we need to understand. Verse 6. Jesus replied, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Well, uh, what do these verses tell us about marriage? Um, I think there's at least four things that uh, we can um, uh, draw out of this. Uh, firstly, notice that marriage is a union between a male and a female. It's a union between a man and a woman who were created differently, uh, different but are complementary to one another. And so the concept of uh, marriage being a union between a man and a man or a woman and a woman um, is not actually in God's plan and design for marriage. It's not the way we were created to be. Uh, secondly, marriage means that a man uh, leaves his parents and cleaves to his wife. And what that means is that there's a, a, a change in relationship priorities here. So that uh, before marriage, his, his uh, pri priority relationship may have been his parents, but after marriage, his priority relationship is his wife. And thirdly, the two will become one flesh. Now, sometimes, um, or when I'm uh, working with young couples preparing them for marriage, we, we always go through this um, teaching from God's word. And uh, when we get to this particular point, I ask them, uh, well, what do you think this means, that the two become one flesh? And there's usually a long silence. And then one of them sort of nervously speaks up and says, um... Is that about sex? And I say, um, yes, I think it is. <laughs> it's about sex. You see, God has given us marital uh, intimacy, uh, yes, for, the, for procreation, yes, for producing children. <laughs> That's why it's male and female. Uh, but not just that. God has given us marital intimacy for the sake of our relationship, uh, for us to enjoy and uh, at the deepest level of, our, of, of who we are as people, uh, to, um, to be naked um, with one another and to feel no shame, to feel no vulnerability, to experience trust and to, and to experience that true oneness that comes through being joined together uh, through the act of marital uh, sex. And this is why sex outside of marriage um, is so damaging. It's so damaging. And so finally, Jesus <laughs> draws the conclusion here that um, what God has joined together, let no man separate, which is exactly 
what Herodias has done. This is what she has done. But Jesus is not going to give the, uh, the Pharisees the satisfaction of spelling that out. Uh, he's, he's going to allow them to join the dots. He doesn't, he's not falling into their trap at all. Although privately, privately, he's actually more open with his disciples. Check out verse 10. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. That's interesting, actually, because it had been assumed that if, you committed, if a man committed adultery, that he was committing adultery against the husband of the, wife, of, of, of the um, woman who he's having sex with. Um, here, and I think this is a bit of a first, that Jesus actually says, no, the adultery is committed against the woman who has been betrayed, um, which I find interesting. Uh, the reason that the religious leaders um, stretch the definition of the indecent thing uh, was so that men could commit adultery and still appear to be righteous, still appear to be godly. Um, a married man uh, wants to be with a woman who is not his wife. But he doesn't want to commit adultery. And so what does he do? Well, he divorces his wife for the purpose that he can be with the other woman. And then if someone will say, well, you've committed adultery, and he will say, no, I haven't committed adultery because I, I wasn't married to her anymore. I divorced her. And what Jesus is saying here is, no, 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 you've committed adultery. You've committed adultery because what you've done is just legalistic whitewashing serial adultery. That's what it is. And then, and then Jesus goes further. Verse 12, and if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now, what would have happened if Jesus had said that out on the street? Well, the Pharisees would have, they would have reported that straight to Herodias. Because by inference, Jesus was charging Herodias with adultery. But it wasn't Jesus' time uh, to be executed. Friends, the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus with a question about divorce. But Jesus responded by teaching about marriage, about godly marriage. And so, uh, what would you say uh, is the thing which lies at the very heart of marriage? I think it's love, don't you? Love is at the very heart of marriage. And yet in the Bible, there are, there are different types of love. Um, there, is, um, there is romantic love. Um, that's a biblical concept. Uh, if you want a dose of that, go and read through the Song of Solomon. 
That's a good thing to do. There is romantic love. There is that enjoyment, that pleasure of, of romance. That, uh, the, the Bible, the, there is also the, uh, that love which is expressed in God's gift of physical intimacy, of that intimate love that I've talked about. But the most important is sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. Uh, putting the well-being of the other person, putting the well-being of your wife or your husband um, before your own well-being, before yourself. And, and to be able to say that uh, no matter the circumstances, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, uh, to the exclusion of all others, that I will be faithful to you. For how long? Well, for as long as we both shall live. Sometimes, uh, as I said, because of the fallenness of human nature, it doesn't work out that way. And many of us, many of us here, are affected either directly or indirectly um, by divorce. But as Christians, our starting point, our commitment and our desire is for lifelong union. Is it lawful, asked the Pharisees, for a man to divorce his wife? It's the wrong question, isn't it? It's a, why did they ask that question? Why didn't they ask Jesus, how can we be more faithful in our marriages? Why didn't they ask Jesus, what is God's plan for marriage? Because they weren't interested in that. That wasn't what they were on about. In Jesus' day, they, they looked for loopholes in marriage. Uh, in our own day, we've, we've lost the very basis of marriage. <laughs> our government has even redefined the definition of marriage so that it is not biblical. But if we are married, and not all of us here are married, but if we are married or hope to be married someday, God's plan for us is to work at our marriages. And, to, and that means to be sacrificially committed to the other. And we've got a good basis for being like that, don't we? Because that is just the same way that Christ has shown his love for us when he gave up his, his life for us and for our sin. In 1 John chapter 4, this is love. Not that we love first, but that he loved us and gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. So, is this relationship permanent? Yes, she said. For the time being, at least. And I remember thinking to myself at that time, does she actually understand what the word permanent means? <laughs> and uh, also, I'm thinking about the guy, is this the first time he's hearing this? <laughs> Whereas friends, stability, trust, the security, the things which was, as humans we actually crave for and need, that is all found in God's plan for marriage. Let's pray.
Father, uh, we want to thank you for the gift of marriage. And uh, we pray, Father God, that um, in our own lives, whether we're married or not, that the love of Christ for us, that sacrificial, that giving love, uh, would be permeating throughout our lives in all of our relationships, and especially the relationship of marriage. Father, as we uh, live in this uh, society and culture which has abandoned uh, your view on marriage, we pray that we would be different, that we would be a light to others, Father, that you would be glorified in our lives and in our marriages. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.